This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. But let's get a sense of a few things going on from a provincial level. Because we're lucky enough to have with us Global News, Queen's Park Bureau Chief Travis Danraj. Travis, thanks so much for being here. Anytime. Travis, one of the things that certainly caught our eye, and we mentioned this, was a memo that you were able to obtain that talked about teachers and vaccinations, not necessarily in southwestern Ontario, but not too far away. Please enlighten us on what you have found. Uh, it was a memo that actually we got last night, which was sent out this morning at 8 a.m. this morning to uh, Niagara Catholic board staff. Uh, and actually, we just found out that a similar memo has gone out to the public board as well. Uh, and, and this essentially says that uh, all full-time, part-time, occasional, casual uh, teachers and educators with these boards and also uh crossing guards and school bus drivers in the Niagara region will be able to book vaccinations starting at the end of this week or next week. So during the April break, these teachers will be vaccinated. These educators will be vaccinated, which is you know, really good news for a, a lot of uh, folks that work in schools down in that region that, that have been saying for a long time, we want the shot. And this is something that you are seeing now really uh, spread this call for educators to be vaccinated right across the province. So if we know that it is happening by way of this memo to the Catholic Board and now the public board, do we know what Niagara has that maybe the rest of the province doesn't have that allows them to put this information out when it may appear that nobody else has done that yet? Yeah, well, listen, so ed- all educators uh, will be able to, in, in part of phase two, uh, get vaccinations. However, there, there aren't really many details um, in terms of the specifics. And so you know, this region specifically <laughs> has gone out and, and, and given those details in terms of like exactly where and when and how educators can, can book. And so that is what you know, a lot of... Uh, Teachers are saying online now it should be happening in Peel, in Toronto, in Hamilton, right across the board here because uh, they're, they're worried, right? And if, you know, Stephen Del Duca, the, the Liberal leader, put out a call to the government this morning saying that the, during the April break, he wants to see all educators uh, vaccinated so that school can resume uh, once the April break's done because there's a lot of chatter here that perhaps. Because we are seeing the numbers rise, the variants spread right across the province, that there could be a situation where school is shut down after the April break. Um, you know, obviously, the, the medical officer of health in Peel region made the determination late yesterday that he didn't want to see kids go back to school uh, today after the Easter long weekend because there was so much concern, because there's so much community spread. And that is one of the reasons why you're seeing this push to have. Uh, you know, frontline workers, uh, essential workers like educators, uh, vaccinated. We are talking with Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, Travis Danraj, and we're looking at at least some encouraging information with regard to teachers. Now, 
we you mentioned the the fact that some boards have gone ahead and or some public health units have gone ahead and said we're not sending kids back to school what kind of rumbles are you gathering outside of maybe peel around the province anything that you're hearing well, listen, I mean, and, and Dr. Davila in Toronto, the, the medical officer of health here, has been getting a lot of blowback for not taking a similar stance as Dr. Lowe uh, and shutting down schools. There are some other areas in the province, um, up in the north, things like that, that have uh, have shut down schools uh, just because the threat is, is, is pretty significant. But, you know, as of uh, Thursday, I think that was the latest data. I haven't looked at today's data uh, on the provincial website, but you know, across the province, there were outbreaks in 26% of schools in the province. That number keeps going up, and so there is, you know, growing evidence to to show that there are a lot of outbreaks in schools in this province. Even Dr. Brown the other day said during one of the briefings, "If we keep schools open, we will see increased spread." And then you've got the minister on the other side of things saying, "Listen, we have safety protocols in place. Schools remain safe." Uh, and, and so there's this ongoing debate that is happening. Travis, before we close out, there has certainly been you know, a lot of information given by the Premier, but as this has gone on, and the Premier's news conferences go on, there is, you know, there's frustration that is expressed, and I know you've expressed it, with regard to being able to ask the Premier questions. And, and there are people who have actually taken data sets of who has asked questions since the pandemic has begun. What is the latest that you can tell us on that? So, I mean, and this is kind of, you know, uh, a good inside baseball in terms of like, you know, the, 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 the everyday kind of calling in as, as reporters to get answers. But, you know, my stance on this is now it is more important than ever to hold leaders to account. And what we have seen, you know, in the, in the past year and a half since these news conferences have been going on is, if you ask a question that is not, you know, that the premier's office doesn't like, sometimes you don't get a question the next day. And that really shouldn't be the case. And why that's happening is because the premier's office has control over who is able to ask questions because they, they control the teleconference system. So somebody can call in three hours ahead and then they're bumped off the list and somebody else is put, on, put, put, put up, right? And so... You know, there uh, there's concerns about that and about whether or not the premier's office should have control or whether it should be the press that has control as to who gets to ask questions. It should not be. There should not be a system where there's a naughty and nice list. Uh, I, I mean, especially during a, a health emergency and, and just the third wave right now. Uh, and, you know, whether or not the, the premier likes some of the questions he's getting, um, you know, journalists should not be penalized for asking tough questions of the leader of this province. Travis, keep up the great work, and thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. That's Travis Danraj, Global News Radio, Queen's Park Bureau Chief. That is something that goes on, and Travis did mention it is a little inside baseball, but we get asked questions about this a lot, and I'm glad that Travis has brought this to the surface the idea that we've you know we live in a, an odd world right now we really do and it's a world where anybody can be a reporter and where if you are being your own reporter and corporations can do this and political parties can do this and governments can do this you can control your own message so 
when you see the first inkling of, say, case counts for the day from COVID-19, who has it first? Well, it's reported by the health minister, not the health minister to somebody, but it's reported by the health minister. If you follow her on Twitter, bing, there it goes, about 10.28 in the morning, it will come out. And so the ability to report exists for absolutely anybody. Now, at the same time, you need to be able to hold governments or individuals accountable. You know that that's, you know, that's part of what goes on in news and media. And so if there is a cherry picking of questions going on, you know, that's, that's obviously making things easier on the answering end, but at the same time, it's not getting those questions through, and that has been shown to have happened. And so control the message is a three-word thing. I, I teach a bit at Fanshawe. I've talked about this before. And if I was doing a class six years ago, seven years ago, we never mentioned control the message. That wasn't a thing. But now, as social media has risen, as everybody can have their own TV channel or, you know, their own newspaper column or their own radio show, anybody can have this. Then control the message has become a thing where you still want to make sure and get all of the information. But if somebody doesn't want to give the information, some of the, you know, some of the biggest frustrations go with okay can we talk with somebody about this and they say here's a statement we're going to prepare it yeah but you don't know what the question is and you're trying to give an answer that statement is giving an answer but what if we have a different question please refer to our statement but but we have different questions than what your statement is outlining and that's the territory that you get into Let's take a COVID break. Huh? Let's let's do that. It's we've been talking a lot of COVID nineteen. Let's take a COVID break. I said at one point during the show today it's been about one thousand two hundred and eighty eight days, give or take about two thousand, three thousand days or so, that I have made dinner for my family. My wife is an unbelievable cook. Great cook. And makes all kinds of stuff and and hates it when I'm in the kitchen because I don't know food times. It's all about food times. Look, your food times, they're terrible. I don't I don't know what a food time is. I look at a, a piece of cheese. It doesn't have a time on it, but I'm not very good at food times whatsoever. And so even when I'm saying I'll cook, she winds up coming in and saying, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll just do it. And then she just does it. And it turns out way, way better. That's been going on for thousands and thousands of days now. Tonight, I'm going to be cooking for her. But I thought what we could do is turn this into something that helped out all of us. Because we all want to, what, eat a little bit healthier? But where do you begin on that? As part of the Habit Change Challenge that is going on in support of the London Health Sciences Foundation, Chef Mike, who is the executive chef, of the Western Fair District, and if you've been to an event at Western Fair District and you have experienced what Chef Mike can do, you are one of the lucky ones. When we all get back to doing things that are more normal than what we've been doing now, make sure you mark that down. Anything going on at Western Fair District, you're in. But let's talk about 
cooking healthy or, or just trying to figure out how to take a step in the right direction for this. Mike, Chef Mike, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure's all mine. I'm I'm so thankful that we're able to uh, talk like this and and get the message out. It's great. Well, if we're looking at eating healthy, when we talk about maybe step one of doing that, where do we sit? What is step one? I think step one is just evaluate what maybe what you're eating currently and and see where you can make micro changes. Like, I mean, I think the problem is is people want to go too big too fast. And I think if we if we start out small, make small simple changes like simply adding a salad to our dinners or our lunches, um, that's that's the first step I feel. Okay, so evaluate if you're not eating a salad. Not bad to do that. Should we be looking at our plate for for anything in particular, whether it's different colors of foods or or anything like that, to know? Okay, yeah, we, we might be on the right track here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, Definitely. I mean, the, the rule of thumb is I think they say you should see more white space on your plate depending on the color of your plate. Um, but I, I always recommend to people to check out the food guide to figure out portion size and, and stuff like that to maintain you know, the, the right amount that you should be eating. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one to call. Now, when we're talking about the types of foods, you say grab that food guide. We want to make sure we have the most recent food guide, correct? Correct, and you can get that up to date online easily enough. Yeah, excellent. And then, in terms of of making those minute changes, so adding a salad, what might be another example of of maybe a a minute change? If I sit there and there's a Twinkie on my plate, I'd maybe maybe once a week for the Twinkie instead of every day. <laughs> uh, baby steps. Go six days a week instead of seven. <laughs> but uh, you know, like. With the uh, with the menu that we put together for the uh, the habit change challenge, um, one ex- one great example is the meatloaf. Um, simply substituting uh, a red meat for a leaner cut. So we've for our recipe we've suggested using ground turkey, which is a lot leaner. It's a lot cleaner, you know. So you're not putting as much fat into your body that you don't need to put in there. And quite frankly, I mean, my seven year old will eat up the turkey meatloaf as fast as he'll eat up the regular meatloaf. And that's a simple change that's still delicious, but healthier. We're talking with the executive chef of Western Fair District, Chef Mike. And Chef Mike, as a matter of fact, I I was going through what you had put together earlier today. That's the one I chose. Uh, I'm I'm going to attempt to make the meatloaf that you had put together using the ground turkey instead of the ground beef. Yeah, no, that that's a it's a it's a delicious dish, and it's simple, it's fast, and it. You know, you, you really can't screw it up. It's, if you follow the recipe, you'll be happy with it, I sure, sure you. Oh, I can show you how I can screw that up. In fact, <laughs> maybe I'll send you some pictures along the way. I'm, I've already dropped a potato on the floor, so that's, uh, that's one thing that, that I've done to, to mess it up. So in terms of what you've done for the Habit Change Challenge, can you tell us what you've put together? Uh, so we created seven simple menus that the main criteria in them is that they're, they're healthy. Um, and the ideas that we put together, the, the main goal that we're trying to get across is plan for the week. You know, so we've run into this habit as a society where it's on the drive home, you pass how many fast food restaurants. So it's just so easy to stop and make the wrong choices. Um, but if you plan a week in advance, you know, go on the Internet, find some nice recipes that you want to try. Pick it like Sunday is my, my go-to day for planning for the week. I'll prep as much as I can well in advance. So that way when I do come home, 
everything's there. So, I mean, my potatoes are already blanched. My pasta is already cooked. My rice is already cooked. So then it's faster. So I can make my own fast food just because I've planned well in advance. And that's really Fast food doesn't to have people. to be what we know it as, right? Fast food can be, hey, I made this easy on Sunday, so now it's fast food for me. I love it. Exactly. And that's, that's really what we're trying to encourage people to do. It's just there's so much value in pre-planning and pre-prepping. Fantastic. Well, as much as we think, yeah, I don't know, sit down, plan it out. You'll thank yourself so many times during the week. You'll be ready to do it again on Sunday. You can get more on this at westernfairdistrict.com, the Get Eating 7-Day Habit Change Challenge. Look that up, and you can see those menu items, and whether it's one-pan pasta or whether it is the meatloaf with the uh, the double-baked potato and the roasted broccoli. I haven't dropped the broccoli on the floor yet. We'll see what happens. Chef Mike, thanks for taking some time for us, and thanks for participating in the Habit Change Challenge this year. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for promoting. It's a great cause, and you know, let's, let's help people make healthy choices out there. In support of the London Health Sciences Foundation, that is Chef Mike Moore, Executive Chef of Western Fair District. Uh, let's talk right now about something far more important than what I'm trying to make or think up for dinner. Let's talk about what this community has been able to do to help everybody who is in need of assistance in making dinner or making breakfast or making lunch. It has been a remarkable year. It really has. Going into this pandemic last year, the first thing we should have been thinking about is, okay, what about people who are in a vulnerable situation already? What is this going to do to them? And we have heard from Glenn Pearson of the London Food Bank that this community, it stepped up and we saw donations, we saw monetary donations, and we've seen partnerships emerge because of what that has allowed for. We also have seen the spring food drive, and it's time to find out a little bit more about that. Glenn, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing on a Tuesday? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for covering this afternoon. Well, we really appreciate everything that you are doing. Let's talk spring food drive first off. What do we need to know? Well, the, the food is still coming in. In fact, I was just at the front door with somebody who dropped off a check for the food bank. So it's not fully over yet. But where we're at is roughly around 60,000 pounds of food, Mike. Now, that's equivalent uh, to what we got two years ago in 2019. Last year, because of COVID, and you and I talked about this the last time, it was our first food drive we had in COVID. We went virtual, and we got three times that amount of, of food. So, I mean, it's nothing like last year, but last year was a special year. We all know that. And not much else was going on at the beginning of that drive. The food bank had stayed open to help people, and I think people just poured out their compassion with us, and that, and that was great. This time, we didn't know quite what to expect, but it actually came equal to what it was two years ago, and we're still in a pandemic, so we're happy. Yeah, so the fact that you, you do see things maybe not drop off below what you saw in 2019, what do you think that does suggest? Well, I, you know, we talked about this last time, too. I still think people are in COVID mode. So the thing that really matters here is that usually we've been around 35 years. So when you have a food drive, it's a fairly static thing. It falls in between these certain dates, food comes in, it's so and so on. 
This time, the food bank was really in a state of mobility. We're, we made all these new announcements of things that we're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, while all that was going on, the public was still donating. But it's important to know that they were donating long before this food drive started, more than usual. And I think people are just in that COVID mode. We call it the COVID advantage at the food bank in the fact that people have taken these challenges in front of them. And rather than just getting negative or pessimistic or just locking down, they've decided to reach out and help others. And they're still doing that. And they were doing it before the food drive, and they'll do it long after the food drive. Glenn Pearson joining us from the London Food Bank. You mentioned that you have 60,000 pounds of food. Is the other side of things that we have seen where, where you are still getting financial donations, is that still happening? Actually, most of it was that way. We have a formula where we can convert you know, a dollar to so much food or a pound of food for, for so much. So we were given you know, close to $110,000 during the food drive. So that goes into that $60,000 figure, sorry, 60,000 pound figure. I mean, food is a lot more expensive than it was even before the pandemic. So people gave over $100,000 to us. And as I said, it's still coming in. So we're, we're content with all that. We're just thankful that Londoners are staying focused on helping others get through this, this tough time. Glenn, when we hear food drives, we do think food, and a lot of times grocery stores will set up donation points or you find ways to to get that actual physical food to the food bank. But when we're thinking going forward, how much should we be thinking food and how much should we be thinking making a donation? What's easiest? My sense, Mike, just to be honest with you, is that there has been this kind of seismic shift that has happened as a result of of COVID. I suspect that more of the giving now going into the future is going to be monetary. We're already seeing that. It's just way easier for people to send it in online, send in their gift, you know, and then they get a tax receipt and it's, it's, you know, it's all, it's all great. Uh, You know, my, my sense is though that it's just been easier for that. And during a time when people are really unsure about security and going out in public and wearing masks and all that kind of stuff, that's still going to be their default option. They're still going to want to give that way. But I think they're slowly changing and understanding that that's the easiest thing. And also the food bank can take that money they donate and get more out of that through our wholesalers and others. So I think it'll be more and more that way as time moves forward. Glenn, does it become almost like our own grocery list where if we have people making food donations, hey, that's great. But at the same time, if you go to the grocery store and you buy 11 tomatoes and don't buy any cucumbers and don't get any toilet paper, uh, those tomatoes aren't covering off everything you need. Does it work the same way? Not fully because we're so diversified. For instance, that big greenhouse is producing tons of produce that we're getting and putting out in hampers every day. Also, we have... uh, other ways through working through other sources to make sure that our hampers stay consistent. Now that we're moving out into nine other neighborhood areas around London, those people there will get the same kind of hampers they do at the food bank. In the old days, you're right. You kind of took what you got and, and did your best with it. But now we can diversify and make sure that the supply stay balanced. How about the demand right now? What are you seeing in that way? The demand is not what it was before covid uh, as far as people coming directly to the food bank. However, we're now helping 50 agencies where we were helping 25, right? Uh, we're also helping like with the homeless lunch program. That's costing us half a million dollars just to help the city as is helping those people through the cold, cold winter months. So, you know, my sense is 
really that we're helping more people than we were prior to the pandemic, but we're helping them more in the situation which they're in through other agencies or in the neighborhoods in which they're at, when they're, where they live. Great stuff. Glenn, anything else you think we need to know? I just think this city is the best. I mean, <laughs> I said this to you before, but, you know, it's we never worried uh, as a food bank, you know, even going into COVID. And now I- at this point a year later, we, di- we didn't worry at all. We just felt the public come through and they did. And that kind of trust, you know, that we have in the public really makes it easier for us. But it also helps us to stay positive during a pretty difficult time. And we're thankful to you, Mike, and others for telling the story. It has made a difference and people gave more than we expected and we're happy. Well, you know what? That's what we're here to do, but thank you for what you are here to do. Glenn, phenomenal news, and let's keep it going, and uh, we'll get through this, and and the things that you've been able to institute will keep going long after we're using the word pandemic. So thank you again, and uh, keep safe. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. That's Glenn Pearson from the London Food Bank. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.